0: Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. I'd like to welcome you to another edition of Taekwondo Life Magazine Live. My name is Mark Serianis. I'm your host, the editor in chief of Taekwondo Life Magazine, and a third Don Black Belt. I want to thank you for some of the milestones that we've been achieving in this journey. Uh, new subscribers, new listeners, new guests on a regular basis. We continue to expand our global reach as a multimedia platform in print, in digital, in audio, serving the entire Taekwondo universe. I encourage you to let me know what you like, let me know what you don't like, let me know who you'd like to see in the future. As we try to make this program and this product better and better. I ask you now to switch gears a little bit. And put yourself in the shoes of my next guest. 1987 World Cup Championships in Helsinki. Facing off in the always dominant Korean member. In the World Championships. And you become through your hard work and determination the first American to defeat a Korean player in the world championships and become a world champion. Thus is just one of the highlights of the career of groundbreaker political activist legal scholar family man and martial artist Grandmaster Herb Perez. For me this was one of the most interesting and thoughtful interviews I've had in my entire martial arts journalistic career. I enjoyed speaking to Grandmaster Perez about his history in the martial arts, how he used the martial arts to achieve success in life and in his career and how he is hoping to impart those skills to the next generation through his gold medal martial arts dojangs in California. I have so much that I could say about Grandmaster Perez but I will allow him to speak for himself in this interview and I encourage you to check out the links that we have in the show notes to check out some of his exciting fights that are on YouTube and to check out his website and to communicate with him on issues that, that may have relevance to him and to the Taekwondo world. So thank you and enjoy.
1: We are talking today to Grandmaster Herb Perez, Olympic gold medalist, the mayor of Foster City, uh, martial arts activist, um, and a relatively legendary figure uh, in the world of of athletic sport Taekwondo, uh, and the owner of the gold medal martial arts chain. Uh, Grandmaster Perez, thank you for speaking to us today Thank you, it's my pleasure How are you guys doing today? We're doing great, we're doing great And we had the pleasure of uh, a terrific article I think that um, for those of our younger Perhaps readers that weren't as familiar with you uh, That was written by uh, Master David Hayes That was called, uh, I believe, Herb Perez, Renaissance Man I think was uh, (laughs) was the title of it It was very well received well, I'm so glad, I'm glad uh, I'm glad I'm still appreciated in part you are you are absolutely appreciated and, and respected and um, there's a lot I wanted to talk to you about a lot of it was covered there um, in the interest of time I, I want to cover a, a, a few particular things so tell me um, you are uh, somebody who from what everything that I've read you attribute the martial arts training to to being a transformative uh, part of your life. So tell us a little bit about how – I think we've written about it, but tell us a little bit about how you came to train in the martial arts and about those changes.
2: You know, most most people come to martial arts these days for different reasons than my generation of people came to martial arts. I came to train because I was – in a tough city in New York city. And I was afraid to walk to school on a daily basis. I was uh, harassed and bothered by people. And uh, I spent a lot of time running away from people. As a result of that, I was looking for something that would give me uh, some way to protect myself, some solace in my life and uh, some peace, and then really some confidence and the ability to defend myself. After reading a book called the, uh, Son of the Flying Tiger, which was virtually almost an identical story to the Bruce Lee movie Enter the Dragon. Um, I like the Taekwondo character. The Taekwondo character had an amazing uh, ability to, uh, to fight with his feet and was portrayed as a very strong character, even though the primary character in the book was a um, Kung Fu character. So lo and behold, I moved to a small town on the other side of the tunnel called Hoboken. And the very first day I was there, I was being chased by these kids. And I ran past a small studio. There was a dance studio and there was a small, tiny little plaque that said taekwondo class was offered. And after I ran away from these kids because I was pretty fast, the next day I went, took money from my paper route and went up to the school to see what was going on, and uh, I walked in the school, and it was a, uh, the instructor was actually a student of Sung, uh, Sun, the, one of the first guys to bring Taekwondo to New York, Sun Duk Sun, and uh, he looked at me and said, you're too short, your, your hair is too long, you're not flexible, you'll never be any good, and I was like, thank you, sir, where do I sign up? He said, well, your mother's got to sign it, so I went downstairs and forged my mother's signature, came up and started classes. And that's how, I, uh, that's how I started Taekwondo. I then went on to train with the student of Master Ki Chung Kim, who was even more, if it was possible, um, uh, meaner and more disciplined. And uh, ultimately studied with Ki, Ki Chung Kim, Master Kim, uh, in Orange, because that was the parent school, and, uh,
1: and the rest is history. That's great. That that's great. It's a different time. It it harkens to a different time which I can re- I can relate to. I actually trained before I trained with Grandmasters um Hian Wan Juan and County e Park. I trained yep. with uh, Robert Jenkins Clark, who was one of the first nine black belts of uh, Grandmaster uh Duck right. Sun. And and it was no, a, again no kidding. a yeah, it was a very um, it was it was uh, it was not a children's program by any means and it was uh it was not Particularly sensitive to anyone's feelings,
2: but it, but it was
1: good. It was it was great training. I I, I, I would never have traded it. That. I, I fell in love with it um, at the time. So um, so so you you went on. Uh, you you are a pioneer in the world of Taekwondo because for young people that are training today, many of them aspire to that Olympic. For those that are on the sports side, they're 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 aspiring towards. That uh, Olympic medal status or uh, uh, the opportunity for Olympic medal status—something that, that right. you achieved—the golden. But it, but during the time of your training, uh, obviously that was not something that was that was on your mind in terms of uh, uh, of competing because it it didn't exist. Uh, what was your perspective in terms of of the competitive aspects of it? Because you you've talked about the second so, one so, as a so form of self yeah. But, yeah. So, when so I how started, do we make that you know,
2: transition? Well, so what happens is, you know, the school I walked into happened to be a very competitive and, a, and aggressive school. It wasn't a life skill school where kids were learning um, how to be better people. This was really about a school that focused on traditional martial art and it becoming a transformative uh, thing in your life. And that was not done through just doing forms. I mean, we spent a ridiculous amount of time going up and down the floor doing traditional blocks and forms. But the particular instructor I had was a national champion in fighting, national champion in forms. His instructor, Master Kim, was a world champion. Uh, back then, I mean, what, what you would call a world champion because they were he was the best in Korea and the best university and then moved here. So it was a school that valued fighting. And so when you, the very first day I walked into the school, we fought. I, I'm telling you, nine years old, after I was warming up, they said, okay, line up for fighting. And I'm like... I came here to learn how to fight. it was like, you know, and if you made it through the first day and or the first week, then they started to teach you. And that's kind of what happens. We, by the time I was a yellow belt, I entered my first tournament and I took fourth place, which was amazing for me because I had um, I had never fought. And I did like, I remember the one, I had this moment of like, you know, what I call like a Zen-like moment where I was so tired, but I did this jumping, spinning hook kick, which got me into the semifinal match. And then I went on to win every, every, I won first place for the next 14 tournaments I answered because the school was a fighting school. And I had the good fortune to come up under uh, Anthony Alvarez, Mark Williams, and our school had a long history of champions uh, that fought in Henry Cho's All-American and so we had, I think, um, actually, I think it's true. We had the most wins as a school at Henry Cho's All-American in Madison Square Garden. You know, March won a bunch of times. I've won a bunch of times. Sure, and sure. Our students have won a bunch of times. So we were a fighting school, and I liked the idea of an individual sport where I could, pull, you know, I could put myself in front of another individual and best them. I didn't have to worry about my team being strong. It was me versus one other person. The biggest challenge being the referee, um, and that was something that appealed to me. So I liked that aspect of it. I love competition. I love fighting. I love hitting people, and I don't mind getting hit in, in the process. Not that I, you know, I spent a lot of time doing that, but I really focused on learning how to hit people and and to do it in a good way. I then. Was fortunate enough to come across the full contact version of what we did and fought in my first full contact taekwondo olympic style tournament at Yanwan parks yan he parks event on long island again i did that as a green belt and uh, then i started representing they had a, a team our team would fight the canadians and the mexicans and i was one of the uh people that got to do that so in a weirder way, you know I had a, 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 I was a trial by fire. In our school, if you couldn't fight, you didn't survive. So we had 25 people in my school, but out of those 25, we had All-Americans, we had um, world champions, Olympians, Pan-American gold medalists. We had two national team members, and 33 percent of the U.S. team for eight years came out of uh, our small school.
1: Oh, wow. Imp- impressive. I- very impressive.
2: Uh, no, no, so- just stop. But, you know, there were a lot of great schools in New York. Back then, New York was, that was the place. New York and New Jersey were, had some of the most best and premier fighters. Mike Warren, uh, Mark Williams, William Oliver, <laughs> the list goes on. John Kratos, um, Don Southerton. I mean, there were just amazing fighters that came out of that time period.
1: Now you you go on uh, obviously as those of us know to to have a an extremely notable performance in the uh, in the Olympics in in, in 1992 right. in, in in Barcelona right. at not only a notable personal performance but at a notable time right a historic time when when taekwondo right. was was could have could have it could have gone either way at, at, at that point but for the things that happened there and in 1993 so so we're aware of that but tell me how does that uh those accomplishments uh translate to where you currently are in terms of your successes as and your 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 foray into um as i understand putting yourself through law school uh right uh, and then becoming uh Uh, involved I believe it's a council person first and then ultimately the mayor of you're you're currently the mayor of Foster City in California how do those how do those things um and your training translate to uh those types of uh successes and those types of of movements in your in your life
2: so when you do and this is you know something I'm writing on right now and I just finished uh, you know a a whole thing on this how this transformed. how do you use taekwondo as a Transformative set of skills into other areas of your life, and so um, one of the things that I think has come up is you realize that the the skills you use to um, the skills that you use to do Taekwondo, you have to apply yourself on a day-to-day basis. There's a certain amount of discipline. There's an accountability that only comes to yourself through yourself. So if you're willing to use those skills in other aspects of your life, then you're going to experience the same success. So I used, and actually my skill, my practice set of how to do Taekwondo came from music. I was a musician and the way that I practiced my instrument, I applied to the way I did Taekwondo. It was very disciplined, very um, methodical. It was... um, very defined, it had hypotheses, it had measurables, and then it had um, a relook at the outcomes and, and things of that nature. So when I went to law school, um, normally I would have gone into that arena and thought I wasn't capable. But I realized that um, I was in a room of a bunch of people pretty much like me, and they were all bright and and talented. But if I applied myself and was willing to do the work necessary... It might take me slightly more time. It might take me less time. And then I realized step-by-step step that it was really the same thing as Taekwondo. It's about applying yourself, setting a schedule, a methodology, employing it, and then seeing what your outcomes are and seeing where your strengths and weaknesses are, and then ultimately fixing those things. And that's kind of the – that's been my key in my <coughs> political arena. That's been my um, key in – my academic arena and that's been the key to my sports success and my business success. I guess the caveat that, you know, right now we have some challenges in our local politics here and you run up against what I call internet bullies. And so that's my latest challenge here. So um, sure. just like in taekwondo, you run into bullies and you got to decide how to deal with them. So in that same way here, I'm using those same skills in dealing with, you know, my community, of which there are a lot of great, great, tremendous supporters. And then you have kind of the naysayers of, you know, whatever. And so you have to be able to call upon those skills you had as a warrior in the sport to transcend the, the day-to-day maintenance of what happens.
1: That's great. That's great. I think that's all very helpful. And I look forward to it. I'm not sure in what format you're, you're, you're putting this together, whether it'll be a book or yeah. whether it'll be, you know, that's great. Well, you know,
2: yeah, it's all good stuff. I mean, you know, every day we're looking at ways that, you know, we can share. For the focus of my past few years has been about developing systems for my schools. Before that, I had the torch program, which I did for the Olympic movement. Um, what I'm doing now is putting together the a combination of the skill sets that I used to teach people the sport of what we do and the art of what we do along with our life skill development stuff. But more importantly, uh, uh, I've watched some guys who are doing some really terrific stuff like Tim Thackeray, um, Anthony Graff, who's a local guy from New York. Um, and this gentleman, Jason Hahn, who I came to know from the U S team, Dr. Hahn. And we have a youth empowerment series, which is just fantastic. All of those guys were national champions, fought on the national team. And, and, um, They've really put together a great program uh, called the Juice Program, the Juice Compound. And so I'm looking at what they did and then looking at what we do and seeing what we can do that will help. Quite frankly, what we do as a sport and an art has changed in such a great degree. We have so much more to offer people. We just have to find people that are um, capable enough to put it together in a palatable and digestible format so that the average school owner can teach it and that's i think what some we've seen people do we've done it before um, through the torch club program these guys are doing it with the youth empowerment stuff and then sure. in the business se- systems everybody else is doing it. you know maya and frank silverman have done a great job of that so i think we're sure finally professionalizing our folklore industry
1: that's that, that's a very very interesting uh perspective and and it it, ha- it speaks a lot to the i think the transition from the 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 sport and the art being largely that of immigrant um, champions to people that are now uh, a combination of that and with respect for tradition, but many of them and many of them are family members who are now uh, American educated or or not, or, or even yeah. educated overseas, but more educated who have more business savvy um, and yeah. things of that nature. Because I, I I spoke uh, you know I spoke at length to uh, Grandmaster Junry's uh, son, um, you know about right. his his legacy and I've spoken to and I and I obviously am, am working with uh, Master Edward Park and Master Elliot Park right. working on on the, and I see a lot of this transition towards a, a more professional yep. professional development yep. in this in this area and I think there's 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 so much good that can come out of it um the juice the juice uh you were talking about I think I, when I had yep. interviewed Stephen Lambden I believe he's involved in some way in or, or, or in some way affiliated
2: he, he, he's, a, he's one of their athletes, and so they have a ton of athletes across the country. You know, Jason, Dr. Han, has really um, figured out ways to help people physically overcome the challenges of the limitations of their body and, and be more effective. Tony uh, Anthony, who's a student of Peter Bardatos and mine and, and Moon out of New York, Master Moon, he was a great competitor. He fought in my weight division and fought above my weight division, and so he brings that sensibility of it, but he also is a guy who developed the uh, youth empowerment stuff. And then Tim Zachary, who was one of my, not my personal athletes, but one of the athletes I worked with when I was head of the U.S. team for a number of years, he works from the aspect of CrossFit and fitness, fit-to-life stuff. So these three guys really have offered just an amazing um, combination of skills, passion for what they do, um, and I, I think it's just great. And, and by way of uh, also just quite, quite mention, John wan Park, Master Park, is one of my favorite all-time ever coaches. He's coached me on a number of uh, times, and I used to see him all the time back in New York when I was back there. He's one of the purest individuals I've met
1: in our sport. I, I agree with that, and he speaks very fondly of you and always well, kind of tells me that he's a great, to, to, to send the best regards. Great, great man. He's a great man. I agree with that completely. Uh, I want to talk your 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 um your resume uh taekwondo resume is so um it's 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 really so significant and I think that people tend to focus on maybe rightfully so your olympic accomplishments but there's two things uh we don't have time to talk about everything but there's two things that I really did want to talk about. Uh one of them was uh which I think is has got great significance in in uh your which is your uh 1987 I believe it was when you yeah. won the world, uh, you were the first, yeah. I believe, American to win yeah. uh, to defeat a Korean athlete in yeah. the world the world championships. So, so yeah. uh, take me to there in terms of when that occurs. You know that has sort of cinematic proportions to it, and it, it, it really is very very significant in terms of a speaking to your um, your training and your ability, but also speaking to some changes, obviously, in terms of the balance, in terms of where uh, Taekwondo, uh, you know, the globalization of Taekwondo, was that something that was uh, apparent and evident to you at that time? Or is that something that in hindsight, you understand and understood the gravity of?
2: Uh, Well, I I mean, so, you know, first, I have to, you know, I I, I always have to give a nod to Korea, Koreans in general, because Without Master Kim and Parks and coming to this country, we would not have had the access to the knowledge base that we had. And so I, I thank them for the energy and time they spent on me to get me to that place. The second thing, though, is, is the way that I did it was I, I decided that um, I wanted to go where the best in the world were because I was here with the third or fourth best in the world, which were the U.S. team that could they basically bronze medal. So I moved to Korea every year for three months and trained at their best university, Hanguk Chede. And, uh, and so Master you know, uh, Lee Sung Guk, who is a, uh, now with the dean of the university, but back then was a the taekwondo coach, welcomed me there as a result of letters written on behalf of my instructor and Mu Young Lee. Um, and so I went there to train with them prior to that win. And I, I spent a couple of years and came back. And then went to the World Cup in eighty seven and faced Korea in the finals. And so what happens at that moment, that was a sharp departure from when I first made the US team and I was told, Don't when you're fighting Korea, don't try to kick them because if you do then they'll really try to hurt you. And I'm like, Well, I'm pretty sure he's gonna do that anyway. So I think I'm gonna still try to win, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and uh so I went and beat the Korean and it was it was life changing for me because that was the first time it had happened. It was a World Cup, made me world champion, and it was prior to an Olympics. So it was a huge wake-up call. It put me on everybody's radar, unfortunately, because they then realized um, they had known that I had potential because they were watching my – wasn't the first international medal I had won, but they uh, that really sent the message, this is a guy who could threaten and ultimately beat Korea. And, and then I was followed by many others. Uh, that also did over the years, and that's great. And I think that that was the good news. It set a reality in people's minds that you did not have to be Korean to do the sport well. You didn't have to necessarily um, do move to Korea. You just had to be willing to learn the skill set to beat them. And I think that it gives you a certain amount of confidence so that when you do face virtually anyone, um, you have that. And what they used to tell Korea back then was, don't worry about who you fight because you're pretty much fighting the best in the world here. When you get to the worlds, it's just going to be easier because even their best players aren't as good. And that was true for a long time. Now Korea struggles uh, worldwide because players have figured out their game, and their game is either an answer to Korea or it's similar to the Korean game. And that's kind of what I did. I went back and looked at their game and tried to figure out what their holes were in their game and by finding those holes that was how I was able to win and um you still had to deal with the bias and the unintentional bias and sometimes the intentional bias and and stuff like that so you really couldn't just beat korea you had to you had to beat korea by three four points it wasn't right if it was a fair it was a close match you weren't going to win and that's okay that's that is what it is but i think that um it was. I think it, it sends up a wake-up call to the world that it's possible. And now with the Iranians, the Mexicans, the Russians, the Chinese on a regular basis beating Korea, I think that uh, I think that people have figured out it is a possibility, and in fact, it is an inevitability.
1: I I, I think that that it is probably one of. As a student of uh, Taekwondo, uh, I think that it is for. People may not recognize it, but it is probably one of the great um, transformative watershed moments in the modern history of the art for all of the reasons that you have, that you have outlined. And I really think that it, it really is probably something in the annals of Taekwondo history that, that, you know, particularly on this side, uh, if you're in the United yeah. States, that, that people should recognize as being a, a truly, truly momentous uh, 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 accomplishment so um, i applaud no, you for kind, that
2: no kind words I, and I, again that's not no one no one person wins by themselves and that's not they, they win with a team of people that either coach them you know there was a kung fu master who actually i credit most of my competition success to out of new york city sifu paul vizio Because without Sifu Vizio's understanding of fighting in general, gamemanship and strategy, there would be no way that I would have been able to develop the type of strategies and techniques I did. He was the gentleman that on a day-to-day basis coached and fought with me prior to my 92 win, So, and my 87 win, quite frankly, he um, in in an odd way was even more influential than uh, virtually every other
1: person in my life. That's great. It's great. That's, that's, That's going to lead into something else I wanted to talk to you about. But first, I wanted to talk to you about, um, again, uh, I think, you know, in the interest of time, I don't have a lot of other things that we can cover. But I do want to talk about Afghanistan because I think it, again, is something that uh, is really significant. And and I think it's important for people to understand. So uh, my understanding is you went uh, at a very uh, dicey time in 2003 you, you went to yep. a, Afghanistan to work with their Olympic sports program. If you can tell us a little bit about that.
2: So I was identified by the U.S. Olympic Committee. I was on their board of directors, and I was a, identified as a great spokesperson for the movement in general, um, and I say that humbly, and someone that could be, um, uh, be helpful in our relations in Asia. So the Olympic Council of Asia took me on to um, – actually go to Pusan for the Asian games and show them how to better do their village services. While I was there, the Sheikh of Kuwait who was the president of OPEC at the time, and now is president of Olympic solidarity and, um, ANOC, the association of national Olympic committees, um, asked me if I would be willing to do a humanitarian mission to identify athletes in Afghanistan who were willing to train and become future Asian game champions. Um, and so uh, this was in Japan, actually, at the Winter Asian Games when they offered me that role. And so we, I accepted it, and we went – this is literally right after the war – and uh, went to Afghanistan to identify athletes that we believed could um, be moved to another country to train and then ultimately participate in the Games. We did that, went into Afghanistan, um, <laughs> which was – interesting, exciting, and, and dangerous, and uh, just met amazing people, identified a group of athletes that, along with Steve Kaepner, uh Dr. Kapner who lives in Korea now, we placed those athletes in training programs in Korea so that they could train, and one of them went on to win a bronze medal at that Asian Games the following year.
1: Wow. You know, for, for me, one of the things I love about it is that, you know, my, my love of Taekwondo, in part, is because of the the fact that it transcends uh, so many things, you know, I, I, I think it transcends a race and, and 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 culture now, and I think it transcends, um, you know, geographic borders and political nonsense and, uh, and all of that, that those things. And the story is great because it really does. I think you know that there's a connection in Taekwondo that people have that you know you don't have to speak the language, but you you can connect with somebody. And right. Taekwondo can similarly be a force for humanitarian uh, efforts and to help the improvement of lives of, of people individually and in groups. So, again, something that I am I am really applaud you for, and I think it's something that is not uh, no. um, as as it's something that, is, that is, again, you know, I I think you have the um, the benefit, but also probably the curse of being, you know, solely identified in many respects as. Uh, uh, Olympic gold medalist Herb Perez, and and you're you're so much more multidimensional, and hopefully we can, you know, people will 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 in listening to this get a better sense of that. And in well, I, I think I think that
2: I think that comes from you know one of the things that my instructor, who was a father figure in my life, shared with me when I was younger was, you know, there are three things that you people cannot take away from you, and one is education. One is uh, your experience, and uh, finally, last is uh, travel. And you should use all of those three things and amass as much as you can of those and, and make yourself a person to be respected. And I wanted to be a person that was respected like my instructor was. He was a very defined and um, unique man, and yes was yes and no was no. He was a man of character, and I wanted to be like him, and then quite frankly, like the other gentleman I met, Sifu Paul Vizio, who was a man of character. This was a man when he said he would do it, he did it. He lived a martial art lifestyle and I think each of us, it's, an, it's, a, it's inherent and it's an incumbent upon all of us to decide that this thing we do is not just a thing, but it is a lifestyle. It is an ethical and moral code that we should follow and, and that means that you should, to the best of your ability, maximize your ability and knowledge and skill set for the betterment of those around you. Uh, and I don't mean that you need, necessarily need to change the world, but you should leave a legacy, even if that legacy is only to yourself, secondly, to your family, thirdly, to your students. And that's, um, I've been fortunate enough to expand that to, um, in some cases, the WTF, I would call it their scoring the idea of multi tier scoring was mine and steve capern and and in the olympic movement i currently serve as the uh, ethics commission uh, member for the association of national olympic committees so i've been fortunate to be able to help others with the skills that i've been able to amass as a result of starting taekwondo at 9 years old walking into a gym with parents who had not graduated um, ninth uh, grade and sixth grade, respectively. And yet, despite those limitations, and as a result of the skills I learned in taekwondo, I've been able to go on to uh, enjoy a fairly um, notable life, at least up until this point.
1: Oh, that's phenomenal. That's phenomenal. I think it, it, it speaks a lot. And that sort of leads me into the sort of my wind-down question, which relates to sure. um, your... You you have five five schools currently correct, yes. Okay, so the the issue is, is that you came in at, at a young age, but yet you came into a very different. I talked to Gerard Robin a little bit about this just in terms of his reflections as well when I spoke to him. Yep. You, you you came in at a very different time at a time when the training was very different at a time when the um, the places that we trained were very very different. It was a, it was totally completely different, and it it, it led to a certain. Um, it, it helped you to forge who you are, but it's a different time and we have a different demographic of people that, we, that are served in, right. in doing doing what it is that you that you do how do you find um, being able to integrate and reconcile uh, those various things to be able to be uh, able to be an inviting and embracing place for Young children and young and young people and families to come, but still maintain the type of uh, you know uh, rigorous training and integrity and things of that that um, you're that you're used to and that helped to make you a champion.
2: So I think you have to be willing to be inclusive rather than exclusive. And when I was coming up, Taekwondo was a uh, was a uh, Taekwondo was exclusive to people who were willing to ferret out the worth of it by themselves, and they would stay around long enough after they got beat up enough and got challenged enough and and they they just didn't give up so a certain type of individual, a very select type of individual would be able to do that these days. I look at Taekwondo as an inclusive sport which has much more to offer than rather that rather than just competition and fighting so it is a life skill development that through the practice of you will gain uh, immutable and tangible and and less tangible outcomes that you couldn't have expected if you can get them to stay in the room long enough so in the beginning we spend a lot of time getting them to a place where they enjoy the sport and the art enough to be able to be here long enough to appreciate what it is we do and so we have a tiered program here that's much more inclusive of anyone and then as they get closer and they've been here longer and their color of the belt changes more they get closer to the type of a program that I experienced when I was younger and that's not to say that even at that time that it's as um, uh, exclusive it is more inclusive but we've built the requisite skill set so that they can stay here and value it. And the thing to always remember is that the original reason you start something, regardless of what the activity is, is never the reason you continue it, nor will it be the reason that you do stop it. So when I started Taekwondo, the reason I started and the reason I finally am teaching it now, and I'm going to be 60 this year, um, those are different reasons. And the same thing with music. I still play Music every day, I play guitar every day and share it with my children every day because there is a less than tangible value to it that you can't necessarily describe, but it is important to such a degree that I share it with others and so that's the that's the that's the difference, and I think that's the thing which is always good to go back to reflect upon that you share with others, and that's what I've done. I've found a way to share with others this thing I do, share my stories with them, share my experiences with them, and then get them to a place where they're able to finally um, absorb it to a degree where I can start to be more discerning and teach them the value of targeted critique to make them a better martial artist, a better person. And then they see that, last year we had four children from my school that got full scholarships to college. We had two children that went to Stanford. We have children that go to some of the best universities out of this small city that I'm in back in the West Coast. And so those are the tangible benefits of a good education and a good taekwondo uh, format so that they have the ability to do what's necessary to be successful. And that, I think that is, at the end of the day, resilience, perseverance, determination, and patience. And if they gain those things as subsets of the physical skills we do here, then they can achieve virtually anything they want in their whole life.
1: I don't think I've ever heard it in 30 years articulated as well. I think it's, it's phenomenal what you, you've articulated no. it. Kind words. Really kind really words, really are just no, words. no, no, truly, truly, you know, I speak to a lot of people. so um, I, I, But I, I can honestly say I think it, you just encapsulated and articulated it in a really – uh, lucid way. And I really appreciate that. So tell me when well, we're, we're going to wind down and I wanted to be able to give sure. people the opportunity to find out more uh, about you and to connect with you. What would be the best uh, websites or social media or so you and, would and, like. and and we're going to link all this and, stuff.
2: Yeah. Anyone, uh, I, I'm always willing to take anyone's phone call. You can always reach me at uh, my, my phone is six five zero four six eight three, one, four, three. And I always appreciate speaking to people. That's my personal number with regard to the content. I have a private website for my students, but I'd be more than willing to share it with the world. That is www.goldmedalmembers gold members with an S.com. And that is, um, it has a ton of footage on it of stuff that I use in my school day to day, um, with regard to, um, Whatever else I do, you know I'm on Facebook, so it's not hard to find me just type in Facebook and you'll get my day to day musings on the, the, the nature of our sport. But um, those are the three best ways and if they're ever out this way. They're always free to send me a
1: note and we'll be more than willing to host them at our school. That's, that's wonderful. We are talking today to uh, eighth Don Grandmaster, uh, Olympic gold medalist, world champion. Mayor, father, uh, outspoken advocate for change, former U.S. team captain, and I could go on and on. Uh, Grandmaster Herb Perez, Grandmaster, I thank you for, for speaking to me. I look forward to um, seeing you down the road and speaking to you further, and keeping in touch. W- and you know, with wow. with what's going on in your in your life wow. and career.
2: Well, thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to share some of my thoughts with your audience. It's always a pleasure to talk about my passion, and uh, and I appreciate your efforts on helping us bring all this to the forefront.
1: Thank you, sir. All right. Have a great afternoon. Yes, you too. Thank you, Grandmaster Burris. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye.